Welcome to Answers from Antioch. You have joined us at the intersection of God's Word and today's world. This broadcast is brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. Join us as we examine information that impacts the church, the Christian, and the Christian home. Hello, everyone. Thanks so very much for tuning in on this Sunday evening. How blessed we are to be with you and you allowing us some time. My co-host, Pastor Josh Davis, also who is Staff Evangelist for Southwest Radio Ministries, is with us today. And he and I are so excited that you let us have some time with you here in this first month of a brand new year. Uh, I believe a year that we are going to see things we've never seen before. I think it's uh, going to be a year that will go down in the history books as very unusual. I was reading Isaiah 43 and verses 18 and 19 truly spoke to me and really touched my heart. Here the Lord says through Isaiah, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? You'll recognize it, he's saying. I'll even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wilderness, that which is unnavigated and cannot be navigated. No paths before them, in other words. There's no pathway. There's no clear marked area. The Lord says, I will make a way in that wilderness. I'll put a path there and I'll show you. I'll put rivers in that dry, 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 arid desert that's what I'll do. But it'll be a new thing, and it'll, you'll know it. Remember, you're not the former things. We don't look back. We look ahead. We know our Lord's already in 2024, and we won't even consider the things of old. And that is, forget the past, as the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter number 3, that forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark, I press toward the prize, the high calling of God. The Lord is ever out in front. He's ever working before me. And you and I have that same promise. So enter this year with this thought in mind, as Isaiah 43 tells us, knowing that our Lord is already out there. He's going to make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. As I was reading that, I was reminded of something that I'd read recently of the philosophy of our founding fathers, those folks that was in the Revolutionary War and those who framed our Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, uh, the Bill of Rights, those folks that it amazed me, and I have to say I did not know this, but uh, one of their verses that guided them in those days in selecting leaders and a very important verse was Exodus chapter 18 and verse number 21. Here's what that verse says. It says, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men such as fear God or a reverence for God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. In other words, your leaders, your political leaders, those who will be congressmen and senators and local leaders as well, governors and legislators and these folks from the local government all the way up to the president of the United States. He said, here's what you need to do. You need to pick out men 
that are able men, honest men who fear God, reverence God, and they hate covetousness. And those are the ones that you will place over you. That was a guide verse for our founding fathers, selecting from all the people competent men who, and the thought of fearing God was irreverently fearing God. He was the God to respect and fear. Uh, men of truth, those that hate dishonest gain. And uh, he says you'll place these over the peoples of different groups of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens, but that was their verse that they claimed and led them and guided them as they selected the leaders in early America. One of the verses also I thought very interesting is Proverbs 29 and 2, and here it is, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Think about that. This was, this was a text that uh, in that uh, founding of America in the 18th century, Proverbs 29.2 was quoted over and over and over again, written over and over again. And by the way, this information, it's, it's in history. It's out there. And uh, read Dr. Drisbach. Dr. Drisbach's got a book where he's entitled, Reading the Bible with the Founding Fathers. Tremendous book. I've read excerpts from it. I don't have the book itself. Uh, but to Daniel L. Drisbach, he is an extremely well-educated man and very, very accurate in his quotations of history. And that book he wrote, Reading the Bible with the Founding Fathers, reminds us how they depended on God's Word. One of the commonplace axioms in the 18th century in America was that a people's happiness or their misery, whichever one, a, a group of people, a nation's happiness or their misery, a nation's prosperity or its distress, were inseparable from the moral character of their rulers. And because man is a fallen creature and inclined to sinful things, human rulers ought not to be entrusted with absolute power that one should expect rulers to be fallible, expect them to, to error in their work, and indeed uh, ex, uh, disposed of corruption and even oppression. Uh, we ought to expect that of men. So you want to select the best that you possibly can who fears God, who honors the Word of God, honest people, and as I said, Proverbs 29.2 was one of the verses, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. In this new year, it is an election year already. That's all over the news, the New Hampshire primaries and all of this. It's all over the news. It's everywhere. But you and I, as God's people, are the ones, my friend, that are to select these according to God's Word. We ought to have the same principles that our founding fathers had in this, in this year. And always, let's put those folks uh, that we are going to support in office, those who fear God, those who honor God, those who show honesty, uh, those that are not covetous or that are not there for self-gain. And hey, uh, isn't that what we're seeing 
in the political arena today. Everybody's doing their own thing to make their own way and their own money. And it's not statesmen anymore that we have. It's just politicians. Oh, how we need statesmen. And uh, I say that. I know it's not November, but it is the beginning of the year. And in this time, we ought to be reminded of what uh, our founding fathers, the verses they used are good for us always to select men and women, putting them in position that are honest people, honest men, able men, competent men that fear God, uh, men of truth, hating covetousness or self-gain or in there for themselves. You don't want those folks in that office. You don't want it. So remember, don't re remember you not the former things, Isaiah said, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. God says, I'm doing something you haven't seen before. I'll make a way in the wilderness. I'll make a river in the desert. And as we look in God's word, we are reminded that this book is still very, very current for us. Absolutely 100%. This book is current for us. Uh, I was reading something here recently that blessed my heart. And... Uh, that is the writings of Arthur Pink. Arthur Pink wrote some, uh, he had probably the best commentary on Hebrews that I've ever seen in, uh, in my books anyway. I love it. Great commentary on Hebrews. And uh, A.W. Pink, he talked about in that commentary, he talked about the foundations. And he said there are two properties to a foundation. Namely, it is that which is first laid in a building. It is that which bears up the whole superstructure. And to which we may add, it is generally lost to sight when the ground floor has been put in. And he went on to say, such is the relation that Judaism sustained to Christianity. As the foundation precedes the building, so has Judaism Christianity. And the truth of Christianity rests upon the promises and the prophecies of the Old Testament. And that's true. Of which the New Testament revelation records this fulfillment. As many have said, myself included, the New Testament is the revelation of the Old Testament. But the Old Testament is the foundation. It's lost to sight because the building is erected on it. Christianity, the buildings erected on the Old Testament foundation, the types, the shadows of the earlier revelations are superseded by the substance and the reality. How true that is, my friend. We're thankful for God's Word, Old and New Testament, realizing the Old Testament is the foundation for the Christianity is revealed in the New Testament. I agree with A.W. Pink in this observation for well. Now, what does that say to us? Here's what it says to us. The foundation that our founding fathers in America laid, that foundation on the scriptures is still the foundation. Their values should still be our values. Their warnings should still be our warnings as well. Yes, absolutely. Their warnings, our warnings. Uh, I could give you some info from Noah Webster, but I won't do that. I don't have that much time right now. But uh, wow, what a great Christian he was. 
Uh, he's the author of the famous Webster's Dictionary. He's known as the father, actually known as the father of American scholarship and education. Born 1758, died in 1843, Noah Webster. But he had some very interesting things to say about uh, the scriptures and how that they played such an important part in the selection of people and selection of our leaders and in the moral fiber of America, the very word of God itself. And uh, our history of our nation is full of such information as I'm sharing with you today. And I just thought it was good in this last Sunday of a brand new year of the first month that we will take the time to realize beginning this year, it'll be a new year, new things. God's going to do some things we haven't seen before. I think the things in our nation we haven't seen before. We see that nearly every day. But more and more, we're going to witness that. But the Word of God is still the same. Now, Pastor Josh has some wonderful information to share with us. Well, thank you, Pastor Brad, and thank you, dear friends, for tuning in. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Answers from Antioch, brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. We encourage you to connect with us on our church website. That's AntiochBristol.com. Now, many people wonder... Where is the promise of God's coming? I've heard all my life, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming back. The rapture could happen any day. We need to be ready. We need to be watching. We need to be waiting. And here it is, day after day, year after year, decade after decade, and we still don't see the promise of His coming. What's happened? What's going on? I thought the church would be gone a long time ago. Why are we still here? And unbelievers may scoff and look at the church and say, Oh, you guys talk about the rapture. You talk about Jesus coming back. Just forget about it. He's not coming back. What's he waiting on? What's he waiting for? Do you know the Bible unpacks that for us? The Bible even includes that very question and it provides us with the answer to that very question. And that's found in 2 Peter chapter number 3. I'm going to turn there and read those verses and explain it to you. If you're in a place that you'd like to follow along with me in your Bibles, I'll give you just a second to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. While you're turning, let me invite you to two important events that's coming up very soon here at Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. Beginning next Sunday is the first of those two events. It's their annual Jubilee meeting. You say, what's Jubilee? It's just a breath of fresh air, spiritually speaking, a spiritual renewal, Bible conference that is meant to encourage and to equip and just to help us uh, sense the Lord's presence and worship Him in spirit and in truth. So we encourage you to join us for that. It'll begin on Sunday, the first Sunday of February, which is Sunday, February the 4th, and goes through Wednesday night, February 7th. We'll have a regular service times all day Sunday. Then Monday through Wednesday, February 5th, 6th, and 7th, we'll have 7 p.m. services and then on Tuesday and Wednesday, February 6th and 7th, we will have a morning service at 10 a.m. both days. 
We've got about 10 or 12 different preachers that will be speaking during the course of those four days. Wonderful times of worship and preaching, instruction from God's Word, fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. So we encourage you to join us at any and all of the services for our annual Jubilee. Again, that's beginning one week from today, Sunday, February 4th through Wednesday, February 7th. More details can be found on our church website, AntiochBristol.com. And then in the month of March, we're privileged to host the Prophecy in the News live event. This is in coordination with Southwest Radio Ministries, with whom I serve as staff evangelist. And that'll be on Friday and Saturday, March 8th and 9th. Now, registration is required for that event. It is free. There's no cost involved, but it is required. You can register at the door when you arrive, but it's much more helpful to the ministry if you register beforehand. You can do so by going to swrc.com, click on events, click on the Tri-Cities Conference, and then the registration link is right there on the website. Again, it's free. Bring a friend with you. It's open to whoever would love to come, just as our Jubilee is. It's all day Friday, all day Saturday. Uh, we'll get into some of the speakers and things like that as time gets closer. Uh, but you can visit the website and find that out. You can also call SWRC at 1-800-652-1144 to register for the Tri-Cities Conference. Let's get into God's Word and that important question that we want to answer. What is God waiting on? Why hasn't the rapture occurred yet? Why don't we see these things happening that preachers and churches and Christians have talked about for decades? And I dare say most of us, our entire life, we've been hearing that message. Jesus could come any day. The rapture is coming. Be ready. And sometimes Christians and unchristians, unbelievers, grow weary of hearing this message. And they say, oh, come on, where's the promise of his coming? Well, that's right out of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Look, this world is just continuing on as it always had and it always has. Where is this promise of his coming that you're talking about? For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, he's unpacking for us the fact that God is the judge, that God is the one who is keeping these things in his hands, and that God is the one who is acting in time. And he's warning us, look, if you're begging for God to come, if you're begging for the rapture, if you're begging for uh the return of God, the return of Christ, the rapture and the second coming are two different things. But he's saying what you're begging for is the judgment of God to fall upon this world. You're begging God to close the dispensation of grace and to bring in the end times 
and what will unfold. Now, can people be saved during the end times? Yes. The scripture says that in the book of Revelation, there will be multitudes who turn to Jesus in faith during the period of the Great Tribulation. But life will be so very difficult for them. And so Peter is saying here for the first point is that, look, do you really realize what you're asking for when you're asking for these things? Now, yes, I want to see the rapture. I want to go be with the Lord. Yes, I want to be with him forever. But I also have the heart of God as we're going to see as we continue reading these verses. Now, let's pick up in verse 8 before we get to verse 9, which I think is the real key to this whole passage. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. This is a crucial verse, and I'm not going to just gloss over it to move on to verse number 9. But we see here what he's saying is that not just is judgment in God's hands, but time and eternity are in God's hands. And what we see happening on the global scale is an indication that, hey, it's God that's in control. It's God's kingdom that is coming. It's God's will that's being performed on this earth right now. Yes, there are things, unimaginable things happening in America and across the world that I thought that we would not be here to see. I thought as the church that perhaps we would be raptured before we see some of the things that we see happening on the global scale. But time and eternity are in God's hands. He is in complete control of it. He knows exactly how things are shaping up. He knows how things are going to work out. And it's his kingdom that is coming. Sometimes we think about the rise of the Antichrist and the rise of the Antichrist system. And we see the stage being set to that end, no doubt about it. But as Christians, we can't get so focused on what the Antichrist system is coming and how people are being conditioned for the end times that we miss the fact that it's ultimately God's plan that's going forward. It's God's kingdom that is coming, not the kingdom of Satan, not the kingdom of the Antichrist, not the kingdom of the false prophet, but it's ultimately God's plan, God's purpose for the ages that is being fulfilled with pinpoint precision. Now think about the first coming of Jesus down to mathematical, uh, the very single day. If you look at Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy, for instance, I mean, it is fulfilled to the exact day during the life and ministry of Jesus on earth. God knew how to fulfill all the prophecies for Jesus' first coming with pinpoint, precise accuracy. No wiggle room, no error whatsoever. It was perfect in its entirety. Why do we think that the second coming is going to be different, that God is just sort of up in heaven scratching his head and sort of saying, um, maybe now, uh, no, no, let's wait for a better opportunity. Maybe now, no, 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 that's, that's going to be a little bit better opportunity a little bit later on. Okay, maybe now, is, is this a good time? 
and God is sort of just second-guessing himself. I know that's borderline blasphemous, and I don't even want to really joke about God that way because we know that's not God's character. That's not God's nature. He has all knowledge. He has all wisdom. And if the first coming was fulfilled with such pinpoint precise fulfillment of Bible prophecy, why do we think the second coming, the rapture, the end times biblical scenario is going to be any different? It's going to be fulfilled any differently? It won't. God knows exactly when the right time is, and God is bringing things along according to His perfect timing. And His timing is always perfect. You see, God is more concerned with timing than He is with time. And that's what verse 8 tells us, that one day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. You see, it's all in God's hands. There is a perfect time. And it's only in God's knowledge. We don't have to try to guess when the rapture will happen. That's not our responsibility. What is our responsibility? Verse number 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right here is the gospel message. And what is God waiting on? Verse 4 asks that question. Where is the promise of His coming? What is God waiting on? It's answered right here. Verse number 9. He isn't slack. He hasn't taken a break. He hasn't forgotten. He's not scratching his head, wondering, what should I do? What should I do? No. He hasn't forgotten his promise, as some men count slackness, but he is long-suffering to usward. What's God waiting on? He's waiting on you. He's waiting on me. He's waiting on all those who may not know Jesus Christ as Savior to make things right with him. You see, God isn't willing to shut down this age of grace. He knows exactly when that time is coming. It's in God's perfect foreknowledge to know exactly and precisely when that moment is. But every single breath that God gives us is an action of His grace. It's an action of His patience that He's showing towards us. His grace, His mercy, His patience, His long-suffering. What's God waiting on? He's waiting on you. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to have an eternal, redemptive relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We ought to thank God that He hasn't come back just yet because He's given people more grace, more mercy, more patience, more opportunities to respond to His redemptive plan and to be uh, and to have repentance and forgiveness of their sins and to come into a saving relationship with him through Jesus Christ and this is what the church ought to be doing again our focus is not on trying to guess when the rapture will take place but on sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and the fact that yes there is an escape Yes, there is a plan and a purpose that God has in mind, and He wants you to be part of His forever family. We have the good news of the gospel. That's the message that the world needs to hear, 
as we approach uh, whatever day that it may be. Will we see it this year? Will we see it next year? I'm not going to set dates. I'm not going to even uh, go down that road to even hazard a, a guess. That's in God's mind. And God knows what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And our responsibility needs to be drawing close to him and pointing others to him as much as we can during these days. And so if you're listening to me and you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, in other words, you don't know that Jesus is your Savior, you need to call upon him today. You need to turn to him in faith today. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and to be your Savior. And he said, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. No one is too far gone to be redeemed. No one has done something so hideous that God cannot forgive them and wipe it away. The Apostle Paul called himself the chief of sinners, the worst of sinners. And if he can be forgiven, who cannot be forgiven? And so we urge you to call upon Jesus today. If you've got questions about what that means, please reach out to us here at Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. Thank you for joining us today. We encourage you to visit our website at antiochbristol.com. There you will find many ways to contact us and connect with us and so much more. Until next time, stand firm in Jesus' truth.